open up to 1 Timothy chapter 6. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Can I just say, isn't it good to be together? Man, so fun. There's, there's a sense that you are, you are receiving the love of God when you come to church and are with God's people, worshiping and singing these truths, reminding and being reminded, um, just the way that we look and interact with each other. Um, hello to those of you who are right through that wall. There may be a group of people out there. I haven't been out there yet this morning. Um, to those who are viewing online, um, so this is our new reality. Uh, we will keep you posted on what we're doing. Uh, the, the plan is 10 o'clock, one service for the time being. We're pretty full. Um, and so uh, we may adjust this before Easter, but Easter is a few weeks away, and we are for sure planning on doing two services at Easter. We may just go back to two services, um, but stay tuned for all of that. We reserve the right to change. All right, where's my morning people at? Morning people, let's hear it. Come on. Yeah, you're loud in the morning. Yeah. You guys are like, spring forward. Yeah, let's get the day going. Uh, you're just like ready to go. Uh, you're super excited. For you non-morning people, it's never late enough, right? We could be doing church at 5 p.m. You're like, let me sleep, right? You'd roll it at 5.15. Um, man, I used to be a night person, but my first child turned me into a morning person, and uh, I'm definitely excited and pumped to be here. Um, some of you forgot it was daylight savings, but that's okay. Your phone remembered. Let me give you the most important part of the sermon from last week, okay? Here's part of the beauty of community groups. Yours truly was working through the community group questions on Monday afternoon. Why do I do it Monday afternoon when I just preached the sermon the day before? Because my community group is on Monday night. So I'm reviewing these questions, and in the middle of reviewing the questions from last week, I'm critiquing myself thinking, my goodness, <laughs> I have forgotten the most important part of the sermon. Because I erred publicly, I'm going to fix it publicly, okay? Here we go. Now, I think this was really evident in the community group questions, but I'm not positive it was super explicit and obvious during both services last week. So I'm going to fix it. Let me jog your memory. We were talking about guarding um, our ears and the importance of guarding our ear gate because it shapes our worldview. Listen to me very, very carefully. The flesh is no help at all in, in accomplishing what these five things are supposed to be accomplishing. So should you do these just in your own power, just with your own logic, just with your own listening, just with your own actions, you would actually miss the entire point. So let me add a correction. Okay, look at the screen. Go to Sunday gathering in the spirit. Go to your community group in the spirit. Study in the spirit. Make disciples in the spirit. Uh, whatever that last one says is too far away. I can't pass the eye test. So do these things, but do it in the spirit. The Holy Spirit that we just sang about as part of a creed is our intimate friend. He's the only teammate that will help you accomplish what is needed. You know what I realized as I was doing my community group questions last week is I thought, man, the religious all-stars of, of the group a.k.a. the Pharisees that we read about in the Gospels, would have stood up and cheered at the end of my sermon last week. And the Pharisees never liked Jesus' message. You know why? The big message of, the, of Jesus, the big message of the Gospel, is you can't accomplish the things God wants you to accomplish. Period. Not even a little bit. Without the help of the Spirit, 
drawing you, informing you, uh, informing everything that, that is on this list, we're helpless and dead in our sin. So religious all-stars didn't stand up and cheer at the end of Jesus' sermons because they were actually diminishing to the people in the flesh of trying to earn or work their way to God. You know who stood up and cheered? (laughs) Those who aren't very good at these sort of things. Those who just kind of three steps forward, four steps back in their messy spiritual walk. The people who need it the most are the ones who long for grace the most. Here's the gospel uh, good news. You aren't able to do this, and God knows that. And God helps us in our weakness. Amen? That's what we just sang about. That's what we're talking about. You are not on your own ever. So do these things, but do them in the spirit. Let me just say, my goal each week is to, is to close the circle, is to say all of what I'm trying to say, and I err. When there's a lot of words, there's sin. And so I want to come back and correct the most important thing from last week. Okay, with that handled, let's move on to this week. We have been in this series, we're beginning to wrap it up, and we're gifted in this letter on how to form good, lasting community that works over the long haul with an incredibly diverse group of people, morning people and night people. And we get along. How? By the way God tells us to. It's called the church, and in this letter it's referenced as the household of God. So we may know how to get along in the household of God. You know, at the end of a fireworks show, how you can sort of tell that it's nearing the end of the show. Why? Because things are popping off bigger and more rapidly, and you're like, oh, we're coming to the finale. That's what I view this text. This text we're in this morning, we're going to take this week, next week, and then a a final week where we're just going to kind of sit in it a little bit. Sometimes we get to the end of a book, we're like, good, what's the next book? What's the next topic? What are we doing? And it's information overload. We're going to take a week and just sit with all that we've studied and looked at and learned and grown in over 1 Timothy. Okay, so that's where we're going. Um, But you'll see as we we read this morning uh, that things are happening uh, just kind of rapid fire. Paul's kind of ramping things up. This entire letter has been really interested in truth. Truth has been a very big theme through this. We've also called it sound doctrine. Hear me really clearly that the Bible is not exhaustive, but it is sufficient. In other words, the Bible doesn't say everything that is true. That would be exhaustive and exhausting. The Bible is sufficient in telling us everything that we need for life pleasing to God and salvation. That's the promise. We see that in 2 Peter. The Bible is sufficient to tell us everything that we need to know, not everything that we can know, right? The Bible tells us who God is, who we are, where we've come from, where we're going. The Bible properly diagnoses what is broken and how God is fixing it, and even how we can come along and cooperate with what God is doing in the world. Would you agree with that? These are some of the things that the the Bible is offering to us. It's called sound doctrine, and sound doctrine just aligns with reality. Okay, The aim of sound doctrine is sound living. The aim of sound doctrine is sound living. Not a big head, not just knowing and being able to spout all kinds of stuff that the Bible talks about. 
Without sound doctrine, we don't have sound living. In fact, without sound doctrine, things devolve into chaos. So if you're new here or been here a really long time, we are interested passionately about loving truthfully and even loving the truth. That's what we're devoted to. The doctrines, these teachings, these instructions, these fences and freedoms that God's put up in the church are vital to that being a reality. Let me show you a quote that I probably showed you a month ago from Martin Luther. As doctrine is, so also is life. If the doctrine is filled with lying, life is hypocritical. In the church, doctrine is pure and therefore life too, so that the truth of both doctrine and life are preserved. Okay, so with that as sort of a backdrop setup, let's look to our passage this morning. Paul's wrapping up this letter with almost a kind of commission. It's like a little speech going, go get them. It's not a formal thing, but it's like just, man, Timothy, get after this. I've left you here in Ephesus and there's work to do. Okay? So verse 11, follow along with me in the scriptures. It says this, but as for you, 1 Timothy 6, 11, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, Faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Hit pause. This section sort of changes gears. He's been talking about how to deal with false teachers, how to honor widows, how to do these different things, and now he shifts it to say, Pastor, I'm talking to you now. Timothy, O man of God. He gives him this title. When you see Paul saying, O, O man of God, look down at verse 20, 620. He says, O Timothy. This is, these little O's are a big deal. It's Paul getting kind of worked up. He doesn't do that a whole bunch. But this little O is like an, an emphasis. Man of God is this common title in the Old Testament. In fact, there's some 60 references to the man of God in the Old Testament. Let me toss out a couple. You will have heard of most of these. Shemaiah, Elijah, Elisha, the great King David, and the towering Old Testament figure Moses. Man of God in the Old Testament was reserved for these kinds of individuals. Do you know that man of God is only used of one person in the New Testament? It's this guy. Paul is saying to Timothy, remember he says, I have no one like Timothy. Timothy's genuinely concerned for your welfare like no one else. So here's this young protege of Paul, and he hearkens the title man of God. And he's bestowing this title on him. So here's what's really powerful. Do you know what the Christian way is? The Christian way is this. Although every single person in this room is born in sin, although we all struggle with weakness, we are called to live into the reality that right now we're saints if we're in Christ. Right now, we have the potential for a completely pure day, just keeping in step with the Spirit. Right now, we get to live into the reality that we are sons and daughters of the Most High King on mission for God here today. Isn't that good news? We don't beat each other down with our sin. We talk about it a lot here because we're interested in the truth. If you don't properly diagnose something, then you can't possibly get the right prescription on how to fix it, how to work your way out of it. The Christian way is to, is to call ourselves, 
to remind ourselves of these things. I love that Paul starts here with this man of God. He's saying, man of God, listen up. And you know what I think Timothy did? I think his, the air kind of filled his chest and he kind of stood up straight through his back to like, yeah, man of God. Would have, been a, would have been a huge deal on his ears. All right. So he then says, flee these things, pursue these things. If you're taking notes, I've actually done a bunch of the work for you this morning. We're going to take this in three sections of four. You don't have to worry about... Actually, you do have to worry about writing them in, but they'll be on the screen for you. All right. I left some work for you. Um, So flee certain things, pursue other things. If you'll notice in the scripture, there's a certain rules of engagement that we have with the enemy. There are some things we're to flee. Get out of there right now. These are sins of passion, youthful lust. Flee like Joseph. Leave your clothing if you have to. Get out of Dodge, right? There are some things that we're to fight. There are some things we are to deny. There's other places the scriptures tell us to resist. Okay? So what I want to show you this morning in the text is that of those four, two of them show up in our text today. Flee and fight. Flee and fight show up. These are rules of engagement that we will see when it comes to engaging the enemy. What are we supposed to flee? What's well, on the heels of all this ruin that loving money comes from? That was from last week. When it comes to all this ruin that loving money can cause, run, flee. This sits in the way of sins of passion of other types, like sexual lust. Flee, get out of there. It's so urgent. So many people get picked off because they stand in reason and think that they can argue their way out of it or they think they're strong or they're doing the wrong thing. Paul is telling Timothy, flee. Get out of there quickly. Here's how you won't have time to linger, by the way. You don't just flee, you pursue virtue. Our, fright, our, our flight from sin is never aimless. It's always to something else. So verse 11 doesn't just say flee, it says pursue. And this idea is keep on pursuing. In fact, make these things your lifelong pursuit, okay? Then it talks about some virtues. So pursue these things, live this way. And he doesn't just randomly do this, he kind of clumps them together a little bit. Let's talk about righteousness for a second. Righteousness is like the burrito supreme of virtues, right? There's a lot of stuff rolled up into that. And you say, well, what does righteousness mean? Like, just boil it down for me. It means this, right living. Give God his due. Give other people their due. Does that sound like love God, love neighbor? Yeah, it is. Righteousness is one of those virtues that often starts a list. So righteousness is at the top of the list. Next, he goes on to godliness, faith, and love. Three virtues all of which that point to God first. The Lord's Prayer starts with God first. The Ten Commandments starts with God first. Here's a list that Paul's putting down of virtues, of all the virtues we could do. Do righteousness, but then do godliness, faith, and love. Godliness is living life as a child mimicking your father, knowing that God the Father is forming Christ in you. Believing that? Living into that, reminding one another of that, holding yourself and your community to that standard. 
We are children mimicking our Father in holiness. How about faith? Faith has to do with fidelity, not wavering in our trust and loyalty to God. Think of a marriage vow. We're about to have a wedding here uh, in a couple of weeks. Mackenzie Donato um, is getting married and uh, to his bride, Julia, and he's here. We were just on a Zoom call. He was in Washington. Now he's here because he's getting ready for the wedding. Super cool. Mackenzie and Julia will stand in front of God and witnesses, and I will lead them in a series of vows. And they have every intention of keeping these until death do us part. That's what people do at a wedding. The faith, the fidelity is to say, God, there will be ups and downs. I know that, but I am making a vow of fidelity to you. How about love? We talk about this a lot, but we build our lives on the love of God. I love that passage in 1 John. We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. We know intellectually, but we believe, we've tasted, we've seen. We keep leaning and depending on God's love, and he keeps coming through for us. Even if we've tried, and trust me, we've tried, we can't leave the love of God. It keeps compelling us back to himself. Any other thing that we chase leads to a dead end, and we go, Oh, how could I? And we are drawn back to the love of God. Finally, he goes on, or next he goes on to steadfastness. Number three on this list. This looks at how we conduct our lives toward other people. Patience, perseverance, these are two other ways, other translations translate it. It is victorious endurance. It's immovable. Think about this. If you know of someone who seems immovable in their faith, they're patient, they're steadfast, they just keep plodding along. They are immovable, not because of their great strength. They are immovable because they've built their life on a rock. And no matter what else comes at them, they're anchored. They're immovable because they have this refuge that they come and they hide in. I promise you, they do feel weak regularly, but they've learned the secret of coming under the protection of God. By the way, do you know what you're doing right now? By being here at the church, by coming and saying, we're we're not going to forsake the assembly. You're actually keeping yourself in, in the warmth of God, under the protection of God, in the warmth of community. One of the things I've been doing as a pastor, many pastors have been doing this, is we have been patiently, steadfastly praying for, for, for flocks that have seemed to wander. And they've sort of gone away, and we go, Lord, would you draw them back? If, I don't, if, if, if you don't draw them back, I can't draw them back. We're not going to draw them back with lattes and cookies. Or if we do, that, you know, that's frivolous. So draw, so draw people back. My fear as a pastor is what happens when sheep wander out into the open country, away from the flock, away from the shepherd's care. Let me move on to gentleness. You know, one of the hallmarks of godly leaders ought to be gentleness. It's exactly opposite of what the false teachers are called out here in this book. What's a qualification of an elder? That they're gentle. It's the opposite of false teachers. It is the way of Jesus. Man of God, woman of God, cultivate 
gentleness. You know, Timothy would have picked up on this, not just from Paul's preaching, his teaching, but by his life and example. Just jot down 1 Thessalonians 2, 6. He says, we didn't seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves. Why? Because you had become very dear to us. Your community group leader ought to look different from other people that you are coming and being shepherded from. The leadership in your church ought to look very different from the other leaders around you who do not have the spirit of Christ. Imperfect, yes. But what a thing Paul could write. We could have made these demands, but we were gentle. We were appealing to you as fellow sheep under the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. You know, people say all the time, Pastor, I want to follow God. Let me say this. This is where God's going. Do you know where God's going? He's going after faith and fidelity. He's going after gentleness. He's going after steadfastness. He's going after these virtues that are listed. You want to follow God? Go there. And I'll just say it as bluntly as the scriptures say. If you say, I love God, I'm following God, me and God are tight. But these aren't in your heart, in your life, in your calendar, in your wallet, in just the makeup of who you are. You are lying to yourself to others around you, and to God. You know who's least fooled? God. (laughs) He knows. So the Bible is that blunt, by the way, that that if we say these things, we can say all kinds of things. I just want to follow God. No, you don't. How do you know? Well, because there's nothing in your life that, that dictates that. This is where God is going. All right. Let me make really explicit the gospel truth. Here's the gospel truth. You and I cannot achieve any of these on our own. That's actually great news. Honestly, that you, just take a big breath and let it out. Phew! Because some of you right now are hearing the voices. You're not very good at this. You want this on Sunday morning, but you hate this on Sunday night. None of us can achieve what we're called to on our own. Here's the reality. It is actually God's gift to us, and God is completing what he began in us. Now, that being said, is it not black and white super clear that we are to pursue these things? So there's the tension. Lean into the tension and the mystery of this, people. God is accomplishing it, and we are to do everything in our effort and power to cooperate with what God is already achieving in us. All right, so live this way. Next, he goes on to do these things. And I've given you four things. You can start jotting them down. Just listen for it. Verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you were made and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, 
who gives life to all things, and of Jesus Christ, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. Verse 14, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now skip down to verse 20. Oh, Timothy, there he is again, getting worked up. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you, he signs off. All right, so let's take these one at a time. Verse 12, fight. Fight the good fight. Think more athletic than warlike. The word used here in in the Greek is actually more like enter into the ring. Enter into athletic competition. Strive against an an, an, an adversary. Listen to the word for fight, and you'll kind of hear it. Agonizo. Agonizo is the word. You know what that sounds like? Agonize. That's actually where we get it. You could say agonize the good agony. That's what we're talking about. We just wrapped up another Olympics. I love the Olympics. I love sports in general. It's fun to watch for me. We watch this playing out. Athletes competing for a medal, for a country, for personal pride. And as we watch that, there ought to be something in us in Christians that say if they would strive, if they would give every ounce of their effort to to get across the line first. There's this cross-country skier named Jessie Diggins. And she is just a picture. She's a cross-country skier. And as she comes across the line, four years ago, she won gold. I think it was our first gold ever. And when she comes across the line, some, like, I think, politely go about four feet and then collapse. Not Jesse Diggins. She gets to the finish line. And she goes, Wah! and she just lays there. All of them. Spits coming out. They're just laying there. She says when she comes down the home stretch, often she loses her vision. Agonize the good agony. Think about this. If they would do it for a medal, for country, for personal pride or fulfillment, how much more, Christian, if we have heaven or hell to lose or gain? I mean, just think of the eternal ramifications of this. If they would be that focused and that devoted, aren't you impressed when when it says on the screen, this is this person's fifth Olympics? You should be. If you're still in the Olympics, competing on the world stage with the absolute best in the world for the fifth time, do the math. Five times four, unless it's COVID, then it stretches longer, right? That's a long time. I thought, man, that's the picture of a Christian. It's kind of easy to like just do it in your prime, do it for four years, commit, do it, then just let yourself go. Agonize the good agony for the rest of your life. That's the message going on here. Let me, let me turn to the word good. Lots of fights out there to fight. Amen? Oh, man, there's a lot of fights to fight. There really always has been. It seems ramped up right now because of these little devices, right? We, we can scroll through a menu of fights and things to get worked up, angry about, people bickering. Oh, yeah. Do, 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 do. Fight the good fight. That means saying no to many, many, many fights. 
There's a lot of things that are actually simply a distraction, not worth engaging in. We've already seen this in our scriptures. Endless speculations, bickering about words, babbling commentary on whatever is going on from deprived and depraved thinkers. Stay out. You know what staying out of those arena allows you to do? It allows you to have all of the gumption and all of the go and all of the go get them when the good fight comes. And you just throw yourself into that one because you know this is from God. We say this in our home sometimes. My wife and I or I, one of us will be engaged with a child correcting and we just have tons of people in our house at any given time. And certain personalities just start wanting to jump in. They're either defending, like playing defense lawyer for the child and accusing us. They're jumping on us and piling it on way more than we would do. And there are times literally we have to say, go away, not your fight. Not you, this is not involve you, go away. And social media has made this where people fight publicly, do all these things publicly, and then everyone else just kind of gets to come and weigh in. Don't do it. Give yourself to the good fight. Our church has been fighting for those who can't fight for themselves. For the life of this church, vulnerable children who are ever-present in our society and around the world are on our radar. And if you're a part of this church, hear me really clearly. This is part of what you're stepping into. We will not stop speaking up, standing up, and stepping up for vulnerable children. That is a good fight. Genesis to Revelation, God has said these people are no less valuable than anyone else, but they are the most vulnerable. Fight for them. Speak up for them. Stand up for them. Step up. Change your life. Inconvenience yourself for their benefit. I'm going to invite Patty Smith up right now. And Patty, I'm going to pray for you right before you talk. Patty um, came to, I think, me and Andres about September of last year. We've been praying, God, when is it a good time for this testimony? One of the things that churches do is they're just a place of honesty uh, and a place of... um, being able to speak the truth in love. Patty came and shared some of her story, and um, she just said, I want to offer this. If and when this is a good time to share this with the church, um, I'm available. And so we just put it to prayer. Um, We were going to do this in January. Some things changed, so here we are right now. Um, I'm going to let her talk for herself. You're going to take this, and let me just pray. God, I hold up my sister Patty to you right now. Thank you for... Um, her life, what you have done, are doing, and will do in her life, God. And I just pray you'd give her right now um, a calmness and the confidence, Lord, just to speak what she has to say. Amen. Thank you, Patty. Appreciate your courage and sharing with us today. Church, fight the good fight. There's a time to, per- there's a time to flee and get away, uh, and there's a time to, to resist, to enter the ring and fight an adversary. Knowing this was coming up, Patty, I saw this on our local news this week. I hit pause, I rewound, I started ranting to my wife. I do that sometimes. In Mountain View, it was celebrated on our local news. They thought it would be worth a big celebration of a new Planned Parenthood facility. Offering all kinds of different uh, medical rooms. They showed the rooms and the terminology. And to understand what goes on in the rooms and understand the, the repercussions of what goes on in those rooms. 
Um, there, there's a time to flee. This is not one of those. This is a time to fight and stand up for those who can't speak up for themselves. Let me keep going. Um, he's not just to fight. He's to take hold. Take hold of what? Take hold of the eternal life, verse 12 says. A very basic of being a Christian that we need to remind one another of often is that we look not at what is seen, but what is unseen. What does that mean? Look at what is unseen. What does that even mean? It means there's a temporal nature to the life that we live. There's an eternal nature to the life that we live. Every day in every situation, be thinking about what lasts forever. According to the Bible itself, the Bible lasts forever. So giving yourself to the Bible, that's a good thing to take hold of. You know what else lasts forever? person on your left and right. People are infinitely valuable, made in the sight of God. Every person you ever meet, every moment you give yourself to the word, every moment you give yourself to other people, you are investing in eternity. So keep your head there. It's powerful to me that I can live right now like I will for all all eternity. Loving and praising God being about what, what he wants to do. Verse 14, keep the commandment. If you just see keep the commandment, that sounds like a list of like do the things of God. He actually says this though, keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. He's talking to a pastor in a church setting and it's not super clear what the commandment is. Is that the immediate flee from worldly pursuits or is that the commandment that I've already given to you in this letter? It's not super clear from the text, actually. What's really clear from the text, both with this and the next one, is, Timothy, you, are, you have been given a great responsibility and so care for it well. The message translates this passage, keep this commandment to the letter. Don't slack off. I like that. Verse 20. It says, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble. Man of God, woman of God, it would be worth selling every earthly possession that you have to gain Christ. Hear me really clearly. That's not how it works. It's a gift given in love, received by faith. But if it costs you everything, every possible thing you could think of, now until the day you die, it would be a great trade. So guard that. Guard what you have in Christ. Guard the gospel. Stay alert. Stay sober-minded to what you have in Jesus. Don't trade it for anything. Patty just told us something. She had some precious things that she gave away Was it stolen? Was it given? There's probably a mix in there in our past as we think about it. Evil done to us. Evil that we went along with. Evil that we went and perpetrated ourselves. There's hope, healing, redemption, goodness that comes today from repenting, from turning from that and going after God. There's a real enemy. He's a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. How does he do it? In part, he does it by distraction. Endless, meaningless talk. It's just distracting you from what's real. Don't go there. Don't give in to that. 
but also by indoctrination, being discipled by those who have opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. They're depraved in their thinking. They're deprived of the truth. They are indoctrinating people. Don't go along with that, church, ever. Recognize it for what it is. So this is the positive ethic. Seldom is avoiding evil ever enough. You just avoid evil, run away from evil. You find yourself just sort of lost and aimless. Look at this picture for a moment. It's good that she's running away from the dark, right? What's she doing, though? She is running straight toward the light. We are given the command not just to flee aimlessly, but to run to the light. Pursue these things. For every no in Paul's writing, there is generally a corresponding yes. Periodically with my kids, I say, don't just, don't do these things. Pursue these things. You pursue these things. You don't even have time to do these things. All right. So live this way, do these things. Here's how we close. Remember these things. Remember this. Okay? Be carried along by truth. What I want to show you is four things that are on the screen right now. I'm just going to read where I'm getting this from. Verse 12, take hold of the eternal life which you were called and about which you made the good confession. Remember that. In the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. Why is Pontius Pilate suddenly thrown in here? We'll look at that. Verse 14, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be glory and honor and dominion. Amen. All right, so four things. When he talks about the good confession made in the presence of many witnesses, many commentators think this is his baptism. What happens in a baptism? Right behind the screen is a baptistry. We're called to baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus did. So we make the good confession. What does it take to get baptized? It means to confess that you're a sinner, to be washed in the newness of Christ, to be raised in the newness of Christ, and to devote yourself to, to make the profession that Jesus is king. Uh, we sometimes talk about baptism as a little bit like your wedding vows. You don't do your wedding vows over and over and over. You don't need to get baptized over and over and over again. On a day, you make your vows, and you stay faithful to those vows. He brings up Jesus in front of Pontius Pilate. Think about this for a second. What was the nature of the conversation? Jesus was about to get killed. He's about to get killed. He's talking to Pontius Pilate, a governor, a ruler of the time. And the nature of their conversation is whether or not Jesus is a king. What Jesus makes in front of Pontius Pilate is this good confession. Jesus is king. Paul's telling Timothy... Whenever you make this confession, and you will do it over and over and over, and it will be easy on Sunday morning, hard on Tuesday afternoon. Every time you make the profession, Jesus is king. Think about this. 
You've stood exactly where Jesus has stood before. Isn't that cool? Our Lord and Savior has gone before us on this road, not just in baptism, but in making the good confession, even in super difficult circumstances. So every time we, we say Jesus is king, not just with our mouth, but with our life, with our attitude, with our mind, and we've stood where Jesus has stood. That's so incredibly powerful. Number three, Christ is coming back. Look at verse 14. Keep the good confession until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. Friends, live inspired and carried on by this one fact. Jesus is, return, is returning in glory and power. He'll set all things right. Could happen today. It was my beloved daughter's birthday yesterday. Tegan turned 18. So now we have the fun joke. Tegan, myself, and Becky were talking in the kitchen. We said, excuse us, kids. The, the adults are talking. So Friday night, we took Tegan out to dinner, and, and we left uh, some of the kids at home, and um, Cassie was, you know, supervising and whatnot, and I told a couple of my kids, I said, listen, I said, I don't want just a good report, I want a great report. So we went to dinner, and we came back from dinner, and the house wasn't burned down, and the dogs were alive, the kids were alive, I'm like, okay, we're, we're already decent right there, but you know what, I got a great report, I got an A+. Plus on how things went. Here's why I'm bringing this up. It makes a difference to a seven-year-old little mind, to an 11-year-old little mind, that the parents are coming back. You live differently when the parents are coming back. You live differently when you know there's going to be an accountability, a reckoning of what's going on. Isn't that true? Now, it was done in love, but sometimes that conversation's a harder conversation. What? What's going on? Right? But man, you live differently when it's come back. Church, live knowing we're going to give an account, but also knowing Jesus is going to come set everything right. He's got this. That leads to the final thing. Here it is. Number four, God is alive and well. I don't know if you've said this more in the last three years than you have in your whole life, but I say this all the time. God, you're alive and well. Paul, does, Paul just can't help himself. He does what he often does. He breaks out in like unrehearsed praise. Right in the middle of writing a letter to Timothy, do you see what he does? See what he does? See what he does? I'm getting worked up now. The only sovereign God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And then he just goes, where was I? Okay, Timothy, let me keep writing you a letter. And sometimes we're just talking. We just go, I can't even contain this. God is alive and well. He's in control and he's on our side. This changes everything. Band, why don't you come on up? I read this poem this week. Think about how knowing that God is alive and well changes what comforts us, changes what we put our hope in. Sunshine, let it be, or frost, storm or calm, as thou shalt choose. Though thine every gift were lost, thee thyself we could not lose. Pair that with Isaiah chapter 51. It says, I, yes I, am the one who comforts you. So why are you afraid of mere humans who wither like the grass and disappear? Talk to yourself, Christian. Say, wake up, what's your problem? Why would I fear that person? They're here today, gone tomorrow. God's the one who comforts me. 
Look at the very next verse. Yet you have forgotten the Lord, your creator, the one who stretched out the sky like a canopy and laid the foundation of the earth. I'm convinced you are sitting here this morning because you want to run the race for the prize that lasts forever. You're sitting here this morning because you want to run in such a way that you win. You're not just doing these things just to do them. Flee and avoid, yes. But pursue. Set your gaze on that which can't be taken away from you. And here's what happens. As you take steps of yes for God, you find yourself accomplishing and going faster and further and with more energy and more energy as you go. You know what that is? That's the wind pushing behind you. It's God cooperating with you in what you're doing. You follow God into what he wants to accomplish in you. He helps you along in that. God, thank you so much for your deep love for us. God, thank you for redemption stories like Patty's. God, thank you for the courage and honesty and vulnerability and trust that exists in this room that our beloved sister can just say, here's who I am. And who she is is a precious daughter of you. God, we stand on the truths that we sing. We stand on the truth of the word that we look at. We give ourselves, we devote ourselves to it. God, this week, I pray you would stir us into action. God, keep us fervent in the race that you've set before us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.